This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Welcome to Don't Let This Flop, a podcast about internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. Where two smart people talk about the dumbest shit that happened online this week. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm EJ Dixon. Brittany, do we want to go back to is the queen dead? Do we want to lead with yeah. that? Okay. Did she die? Did I no. miss it? No, oh. she didn't die. She okay. made it through Memorial Day weekend. We made it through a Memorial Day weekend without having to write a dead queen obituary, which would be neither of our jobs, ultimately. So yeah. we wouldn't have been asked to do that. Congrats to her for surviving so long. Who knew? I just want to add that on Google when you search is the queen dead? Because I did look it up. I wanted to make extra sure. Yeah. An old DLTF post that you wrote came up like fourth. Well, that's great. But I, I do think she's still dead. You should update that post then. Or you should rescind it from the public I mean, record. We've, we've already discussed that. I'm a conspiracy theorist who thinks that she has been dead for months. Right. But either way, I mean, you're feeding into the narrative that she's alive and our SEO game is strong. Yeah. I mean, it goes against all my beliefs, <laughs> but I'm glad that I provided some false information, some misinformation <laughs> to the people. <laughs> so the queen didn't die, but there was a lot going on online this week, of course. And I don't know last week, EJ was very worried that mom stuff would be too boring for the pod. And I would like to thank mom talk this week for proving EJ wrong mm-hmm. because they, and they did. mom stuff hotter than ever people the moms are a lot's happening in mom talk so as expected over the course of the last 10 years mommy bloggers have pivoted to being mommy influencers and the younger faction of those mom influencers now run mom talk there's one niche popular crew on mom talk influencers based out of utah who are all mormon married parents making content with each other They even claimed they made a new Utah content house, which sounds absolutely miserable, like the worst possible vacation house you could ever book on Airbnb. How familiar are you with like the Mormon mommy influencer sphere? Not at all. So I had never gotten any. Well, now I'm now I'm super familiar as of today. But like now I've I've never gotten any mom talk influencers on my for you page until I got this video from Hannah Koch spilling all the Mormon mom talk tea that was especially piping hot. So let's rewind. The important players at the center of this drama are Taylor Frankie Paul and her husband Tate. Taylor's TikTok has 3.5 million followers who watch videos of her daughter putting on makeup and Taylor showing off her abs. Last week, Taylor posted a couple TikToks indicating that her life was falling apart and that her and her husband were separating. In one video, she claims to be excited to co-parent with Tate as boxes are packed up in their home. So Tate seems a lot less excited to co-parent than Taylor is. He deleted all evidence of Taylor off his Instagram. And a lot of the moms in their little influencer mom talk circle in Utah unfollowed Taylor and apparently liked some comments on TikTok and Instagram that hinted at infidelity on Taylor's part. So this is all basic two influencers break up in a content house energy until Taylor took to TikTok live to explain what happened. She alleged that most of the couples in the Mormon mom talk group were soft swingers, meaning that they get drunk and partner swap without going all the way unless your spouse is also in the room, which I guess technically would mean that 
both other spouses would also be in the room. So they might as well just call to force them. The reason for her divorce was that she had broken the rule with one of the husbands in the group. Is this sort of like an ambiguous, like a way to sort of bend the rules of the church, like soaking? Are you familiar with soaking? Yes. Yeah. So soaking was the act of like just sticking the penis in, wasn't it? Like it was just like you just stick it in and they take it out. Yeah. It's something that's popular at BYU, apparently. And it's also a big joke on TikTok is that in order because Mormons do not believe in sex before marriage. So apparently if you just stick the penis in during penetration and don't move it at all, that's soaking and that doesn't break the rules. So there are all these jokes on TikTok about people like being at BYU, like shaking the bed and like jumping up and down and moving the room. So like to break the rules of soaking, it's like a loophole. Yeah. And I I think with this, it probably feels like a like infidelity loophole, right? Where it's like you have all consented to this situation where you're all in the room, but you never take it too far where there's a risk of anything of like yeah, pregnancy yeah. or any other further. Yeah. And I would think that they would need that loophole because my understanding is that infidelity is grounds for excommunication in the church. So, but if you're soft swinging, I guess that's sort of a way to circumvent that. Yeah. So there, um, this mom talk crew is very, they're very popular and people talk about them a lot. They gossip about them a lot. I'm sure there's countless years of weird drama between them that I certainly don't know and have no time to catch up on, but it was going wild in Reddit. A lot of people were trying to piece together what exactly happened because there was all of the, the Instagram photo deletion and the comments being liked and all of that. And once this TikTok live happened, it of course set a lot of people just like writing to figure out who the other couples that were involved. So Taylor said that it was most of the couples within this group were involved. And a lot of the followers deduced that Chase McWhorter and his wife Miranda may have been the other involved couple, though Chase and Miranda ended up hopping on their own live to deny any involvement in this. And in a follow-up live, Taylor also confirmed that the McWhorters were not part of the swinging crew. And she alleged that her divorce was not the only one in motion for the group. So she doesn't confirm who else it is. She doesn't confirm like if it's a couple because of... She implies that it's because of the soft swinging. She doesn't say if it's the husband that she had also slept with. Like, it's a whole thing. There's also photos of Miranda and Taylor, like racy photos that were leaked of them that they said was at a bachelorette party. It's just like a lot of stuff kind of exploded in the days following both these lives. So others have also cast doubt on the entire story to begin with. Is this just a cheap ploy to gain views? Some claim that Taylor's entire TikTok life is scripted and it pointed out past instances of her lying for clout, like when she claimed that she was 50 and that two of the other mom talkers were her twin 25-year-old daughters, which like I don't think is that extreme of an example of like a person is like a, a constant liar on TikTok and we cannot trust them at all. Like that's just like basic dumb TikTok content. I remember when that happened. It was like a joke. Yeah. And so it's reasonable to not trust any TikToker with anything, right? Like it's uh, people make up stuff all the time on this app. We talk about misinformation all the time, but like we talk about it in a bigger sense, but people just lie for clout on here. But it's also created a huge debate about how common swinging is in the Mormon community. So this was also a conversation that happened on my beloved Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, which is basically, I guess, my version of mom talk because I have learned everything I know about Utah and the Mormon community from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And EJ, you made an open call on your Twitter for your Mormon followers to weigh in on how common it is, didn't you? Yeah, I did, because I actually know a little bit about Mormon mommy blogs because I've done a little bit of writing on it. 
And my understanding was that the rules around marriage are extremely strict. So it, it kind of like surprised me that people would be open to this extent about it. And I was also wondering the same question that you were, like whether or not Taylor was doing this for clout. But a few people responded to me saying that while it's not like a huge part of Utah life in the like, well, it's not like a huge part of LDS like adjacent life. It's it's definitely there. Like it's not an unknown thing. And there are also lots of posts on the subreddit rxmormon about it. Yeah, and I think like even thinking about it makes sense that this type of small community like that would exist, right? Like a lot of these people are really young. They've gotten married really young. Taylor is 27 or 28 and she's probably been married for nearly a decade by this point, like and they only spend time with these other people in this tight-knit community. Like it just it like makes sense. I mean, that's how like most swinging communities like the origin of it comes from like these like waspy suburban bored parents just kind of having key parties when their kids were like at sleepovers and shit like it kind of makes sense like it's not like a huge stretch that these like hot 20 something mormon moms are like sleeping with each other's husbands it does make sense and the other reason why it makes sense is something that you just touched on which (laughs) like i think we should note like really emphasize here that these women are insanely hot and I don't think that's like irrelevant like it's very like all of these LDS influencers are like like Utah is one of the capitals of plastic surgery within the United States like it has among the highest rates in the entire country because it they're incredibly image focused and incredibly image obsessed and that's why they all have sort of this very uniform look you know they're all very tan and conventionally attractive and thin and able-bodied and have these like gleaming white teeth because they don't drink soda or coffee and I don't I do think that's relevant here because it makes sense that like there would be this sort of like quote-unquote seedy underbelly underneath the surface of this like picture-perfect lifestyle that has such a strong emphasis on aesthetics. Not to say that swinging is like inherently seedy, but it's not something that coalesces with these people's image. So I could see how this part of the narrative doesn't necessarily square with what the message about married life and domesticity that they're trying to convey. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess we're both wondering too, like, are they like really super Mormon even? Like, do they still like consider themselves like actively part of the church? Like a big part of like Salt Lake City is that most of the the women on there are ex-Mormons and they kind of like hint at them swinging, but they don't, they never like confirm it. Like sometimes they're a little bit more judgy about but the idea is that they've like abandoned the church and like are now more sexually free and like able to pursue like what that means if they're like if they got divorced and like that goes against church rules of course so they're therefore excommunicated and like what that means to like be more like sexually free post-divorce and like what it means to you know like one of them like is has like a stripper pole in her house and like that was like a big thing for her to like express her own sexual freedom and all that so that could also be a part of it too like maybe they just it's kind of maybe they're being attaching themselves to Mormonism to stand out amongst the mom talk crowd. Yeah, I suspect that they're not super active in the church because of the way they dress. Basically, that this is also a big thing on Mormon Mom Instagram. Like, there are all these influencers who are, like, really scantily clad all the time. And you'll see in the comments, like, oh, where's your ceremonial underwear? Because obviously you can't wear that if you're doing, like, bikini modeling. That's a big part of your income. So I kind of suspect that these women aren't super duper active 
in the church. But I did speak to a Mormon podcaster, Meg Morley Walter, who noted that the specific community these moms are from is a known swinger enclave, <laughs> which apparently is the same community that's featured on RHSLC, which I wasn't aware of because I'm not an RH franchise oh, wow. man. I didn't know that either. I didn't know like what specific community because a lot of them, it's like a mix. Honestly, okay, I do recommend that you watch Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I think it's like the best one. There was an entire fight. First off, there's a cult leader on the show, which is like a whole thing. But there was an entire fight between the cult leader and Jen Shaw, who you may have seen is the one that got arrested and is probably going to jail for a very long time. The first season, their entire drama was the fact that the cult leader, Mary, said that... It's a female cult leader? Yes. That's empowering. She married... Her grandma was like the leader of this like... I know, super evangelical church. And then when her grandma died, basically she married her grandpa's husband, who's not like her biological grandpa. It's like her step grandpa. Wow. Because she was going to lead the church now that her grandma had died. And so she's married to her step grandpa. Oh my God. I have anyway, to watch this. She said that Jen Shaw smelled like hospital and it started <laughs> a fight for that lasted like two seasons. And it's like <laughs> you smell like hospital and then it leads to like a near fist fight in a club in Salt Lake City. I mean, does she smell like hospital? Well, she had just visited her dying aunt in the hospital. <laughs> that makes it even better that she actually did smell like hospital for personal reasons. They should look to cast one of these Mormon mom talk women on the next season because I think the cult leader is leaving because she got mad that everyone pointed out that she led a cult. And the, also Jen Shaw is probably going to prison. Yeah, it seems that there are probably some holes in the cast. Andy Cohen, look to mom talk. But you know who they should really cast? Do you know about the mom blogger who accidentally shot her husband? No, but I need to know more. Oh my God. Emily Myers, the freckled fox, shot her husband, like blogged about it. Everybody was horrified. Why did she shoot him? It was an accident. I think it was like, it was like a hunting accident. Oh. It was very much like a dick, what's his face thing. I thought the it was guy. like a cell block tango situation. No, 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 no. It was allegedly an accident. Hi, guys. It's future EJ here. I can't believe I messed this up. I'm really kicking myself. But Emily Myers, a.k.a. Freckled Fox, was accidentally shot in the leg by her husband in their kitchen while she was warming pizza and he was cleaning his gun. I initially stated it the other way around. That is incorrect. Emily's husband actually shot her accidentally. They are now getting divorced, seemingly unrelated to the shooting. Okay, back to the show. Okay. Much like Laura Bush and yes. her ex-boyfriend. Yes. Much like that. <laughs> we keep referencing and we're going to keep cutting it. I will talk about <laughs> I will talk about this every time until we keep it in. <laughs> okay, so I will say for context that every episode we record, Brittany references how Laura Bush killed a man accidentally. We don't say allegedly killed a man, but we can say accidentally killed a man, right? With her car. And every episode, for whatever reason, we cut it out. But we're just going to do it this time. Yeah. It's going in. <laughs> it's, a, it's a known fact. There's an entire play called Laura Bush Killed a Man. <laughs> Should we move on to Pride? Happy Pride. It's June 1st. So this is officially the first week of Pride Month. What do you think about when you think about Pride, Brittany? I think about uh, the number of parties that I will probably end up going to this month and rainbows. I, I don't get invited to these parties. I just encounter these hot people wearing glitter eyeshadow. I'll bring you to the Bushwick Raves. <laughs> that sounds exhausting. <laughs> oh my you, like, God. like staying up until seven in the morning. No, I fucking don't. <laughs> I, I, don't threaten me with a good time. Jesus. But another thing that I think of is merch, specifically corporate pride merch per the great Meg Stalter. Hi, gay. Happy Pride Month. We are sashaying away with deals. 
We love gay, and it's awesome. We've been making butter since 1945, and we've been accepting all people since the last four months. So yeah, we're gagging for you to come take a taste of Cecily's Butter Shop at Cecily's Butter Shop. My friend's mom, um, I think is, I think is gay. So we think it's cool. This is the time of year where large corporations pretend to care about LGBTQ rights in a way that they simply do not from July to May. And they do this in large part by rolling out rainbow themed apparel and Yas Queen mugs in big box stores. A Yas Queen mug is extremely important to own. <laughs> it's a great way for Walmart to say we care about LGBTQ employees. <laughs> To sell a Yas Queen mug for $5.99. <laughs> Here's the TikTok creator Dino Nuggets reviewing the latest rollout in Walmart this year. Reviewing the 2022 Walmart Pride Collection. This live laugh LGBT shirt feels like it could be an ironic homage to the influence of waspy mom culture on gay people. Honestly, I think some underpaid designer just accidentally tripped and slapped this on a shirt. 10 out of 5. This deer looks like it's an actual physical pain that gay people exist. And honestly, me too. 5 out of 5. This would be a great rendition of a pride flag if I had never seen one before and also was colorblind. Now, is this all terrible? Like, do you think that this is, like, inherently all bad? I don't think it's, like, bad. It's just corny, right? Like, and corny isn't necessarily bad. Yeah, it's cringe. That's the best way to put it, I think. It's also, like, so many of the references are often so old, too. Like, it's, like, they just, like, just met a gay person, but it's 2008, and like nothing's like updated. <laughs> like someone you are like, delicious. <laughs> yeah. It's like they hopped in it. The designer was like, for inspiration, I'm gonna hop in a time machine to 2008 and take all the references from that and make Walmart Pride merch. You're the Karen to my Jack. <laughs> Yeah, it's very cringe. It's great that LGBTQ people have more visibility in general, like especially in traditionally like very conservative big box stores like Walmart. Like just 15 years ago, the company refused to take a stand on LGBTQ issues. And just five years ago, there was a Walmart associate who tweeted right after the Pulse nightclub massacre that the shooter was, quote unquote, doing community service. And Walmart, like, came down on that guy. And it was, to be fair, it was just, like, one guy. They employ, like, tens of thousands of people. But they still give money to anti-gay lawmakers who vote against laws that protect gay rights. Like, this is not, even today, you would not really classify Walmart as an LGBTQ-friendly or inclusive organization at all. So they're doing a little bit of, this is a little bit cosmetic here. Like, obviously, they're trying to pretend they care about LGBTQ rights without actually doing that much to support them. I know who's, like, buying it. Besides, like... Like, like P-flag moms. I think P-flag moms. And I also think conservatives who want to pretend that they don't hate gay people. (laughs) Honestly, like I do think there is a large bucket there of boomers who watch Newsmax and harbor transphobic or homophobic views, but want to pretend that they don't hate gay people. And they can say like, hey, I bought a live, laugh, LGBTQ pillow to support my gay niece to support that. And we can argue about the ethics of that. But like, I think the net effect in terms of like cultural LGBTQ acceptance is positive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cringe, but positive. Very cringe. But it's so fucking cringe. (laughs) (laughs) It's so 
cringe. Like, I mean, there are countless examples of this backfiring also in hilarious ways. The most recent example, this doesn't have anything to do with LGBTQ rights or pride specifically, but the most recent example was when Walmart recently had to apologize for selling Juneteenth-themed ice cream. For the record, that ice cream did look delicious. I wasn't above that. I mean, obviously, it should not have been Juneteenth ice cream, but it did look delicious. I want to know what was in it. It It's like a swirled red velvet and cheesecake flavored ice cream. Holy shit, really? Again, that sounds delicious. That sounds fucking great. They pulled that from the shelves. (laughs) I don't know what that has to do with Juneteenth. (laughs) But also, like, how do you make a flavor out of, like, Juneteenth? I mean, you have to imagine that they hired a market research firm to like figure out, okay, like exactly what ingredients can we use to not offend people? Were they like the end of slavery tastes like red velvet and cheesecake? Yeah, I don't don't know. Clearly, they tried to like reverse engineer this in some way to make this acceptable, (laughs) even though it's just patently on its face, not acceptable. I do think that Walmart should re-release the ice cream, though, but obviously they need a new brand for it. Because that looked delicious. Yeah, what's the next holiday? What's the next holiday they can release it for? Uh, Fourth of July. Flag day? What's Fourth Fourth of July. Day? I don't know. Bastille no. day. <laughs> Patriotism so bleh. Yeah, let's do Bastille day. That's way better. Cheesecake? And that's not French. I don't know. Is it? No. No. <laughs> it's not French. <laughs> I just assume most desserts are French. I know. I mean, the shittier desserts, and I would classify, even though I love cheesecake, I would classify it as like a shittier dessert. Like the shittier desserts tend to be American. The good desserts tend to be French or Italian. Well, regardless, they, but, um, they should make sure they have that out by the end of summer. I would like to eat it. I mean, this clearly would have been stopped by just like having a black person like at the table like being involved with these types of decisions like just one executive being like hey this is inappropriate like would have saved the company a lot of money but instead we're being deprived of red velvet and cheesecake squirrel ice cream because somebody decided to sell it on juneteenth it's just wrong on many levels there's a lot that's been taken from us especially ice cream But corporations don't learn their lessons. And instead of employing like more diverse hiring practices or hiring people of color in leadership roles to ensure that these decisions don't get made, like they just release the same cringe merch over and over again. So to talk about Pride merch, we decided to have Dino Nuggets, a.k.a. Connor, on here to discuss his content and why he thinks corporate Pride merch is so cringe and what Pride actually means in the age of mass market commercialization. So, Connor, how did you actually start reviewing corporate Pride merch? Yeah, so I started reviewing it last year because I saw some other people posting about it and I thought it was extremely ugly, was my main intention (laughs) when I first started. So I did like kind of a review of it and also kind of thinking about the ways that they're using Pride merch to kind of try to sell your identity back to you, which rubs me the wrong way for sure. So I was heavily criticized for that one weirdly last year, but this year it's been pretty well received. So I'm just going to keep doing it. What was the criticism? Yeah. So without specifically calling out any other creators, I was being criticized for not being appreciative enough of the fact that corporations sell pride merch and it was largely a lot of straight people making videos about it and how I should be more thankful for my allies which is flawed in so many ways but I received a lot of criticism for that and what was the video like last year like what kind of merch were you specifically criticizing to kind of give a picture of like what that looked like then let's see what I did make fun of there was one shirt that just said ally really big on it and I was kind of like (laughs) what's the point in wearing that you could just wear a shirt that 
has a flag on it or something, you don't have to be like, I support gay people, but I'm an ally. I'm not. <laughs> but there was a lot of people that thought that I was being too hard on Target. And so they can't handle that, I guess. What do you think makes like big box store pride merch so cringe? For me, it's because we all know it's not genuine and it's something they've started doing recently just because it's suddenly profitable and they wouldn't be doing it if it weren't. And for me, it, it just feels weird as a gay man to, to walk into a store, see online these companies trying to sell your identity to you because it's I'm minding my business. And then these companies are like, gay pride all the way. And it's like, no, you're not. You're an exploitative corporation trying to sell crap to me. It's probably not produced ethically and none of it's liberatory in nature. It's just it's just a bunch of garbage they want to sell you. Who do you think is actually buying that merch? EJ and I were kind of discussing, like, what do they think the target audience is for this very cringe merch? Gosh, I don't even want to think about the, the type of people. I would imagine it's just people that don't really take a step back and really think about what's happening. They just think it looks cool or they like whatever it is. And I guess people that are just want to buy crap. <laughs> trying to <laughs> Definitely a lot of straight people, I think, buy stuff like that because they are well-meaning and want to show that they support people, but instead of you know, actually supporting queer people that make pride-type stuff that's more ethical than the box stores. What's the most cringe piece of pride merch that you've seen so far this year? Definitely the one on the Walmart website that said Lesbo. <laughs> <laughs> Which can't think of any self-respecting lesbian that wants to wear that on their chest. <laughs> Wasn't it like Lesbo, like with a W at the end? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like a rainbow and it was L-E-S-B-O-W. So it was trying to be kind of cutesy about it, but it's was first of all a terrible design it looked like you could have made it in word art in 2008 but <laughs> like i'm imagining just like throwing slurs up on a shirt and then i'm really sure the <laughs> how pure those intentions are i don't even know what the pun is like lesbian who wears a bow it was a rainbow above it oh a rainbow right 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 oh my god that's dumb <laughs> yeah so it's not even a very good pun and derogatory term to boot so <laughs> you mentioned the criticism but have you heard from any gay target or walmart employees at all and have they responded to the videos in the comments at all no they've been pretty quiet i think i've had a couple maybe target like people that like set up the displays that that wanted me to point out that there was because in my video i didn't touch on the the pieces made by actual queer people because i didn't want to you know, like brag on them and that's not really what i was criticizing but that, that was really their only Thing that they wanted to point out was some of the employees thought that was better but i don't really doesn't feel like my place to criticize them because they're getting their check for it can't blame that <laughs> what we're trying to figure out is like what is the fact that this stuff has become a meme say about like what pride month means in 2022 yeah it's definitely strayed pretty far from its roots i think the most telling one that I found was on the Target website where it was a guard sign that said Pride is a protest and it's like it's really not it was originally a riot and it's really straight from like the radical roots of queer politics and the actual liberatory practices and thought and so it's really just I think an attempt by corporations to just make a talk off people without actually thinking about the history of Pride and and what it actually means and even when you go to Pride fests and stuff, which are really bane of my existence. <laughs> what does it mean as a gay person to walk in and see a bank trying to give you a button with a rainbow on it? That doesn't really have any kind of roots in what pride means. It's just, you know, a bunch of people trying to sell you stuff, which is ultimately what 
most things end up in our society, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we also, we had discussed a little bit about the recent other controversy that Walmart had with, like, the Juneteenth ice cream they had to recall and just kind of these, like, weird, bad attempts at showing that there is, like, allyship from these these big corporations. But obviously, it's, like, not as clearly them being, like, allies as they think it is in terms of producing this type of stuff. So, I mean, when you do think about, though, like, is there kind of a weird like positive spin on them doing this like 10 years ago it would have been impossible to think of any sort of like pro lgbtqia merch at like walmart any sort of kind of support from that but is there like a positive angle to it or is it sort of just like it's so cringe and so like badly done that it's kind of hard to even look at it that way yeah i've had a lot of people try to make that point it it doesn't feel great to me. Maybe it's a sign that obviously LGBT people are more accepted, but what does that mean in our society that we're more accepted? It means that market forces can take advantage of that. And I think that corporations selling that stuff and pride-themed stuff is is more of a sign that LGBT people have just become more profitable as opposed to being more accepted. So I think real acceptance or liberation can come in different ways that actually uplift the people that are the most at the bottom of the socioeconomic doesn't do anything to uplift the people that have been most harmed by homophobia, transphobia, etc., racism. It doesn't do anything to help those people. I don't feel necessarily loved by Walmart or accepted by Walmart. I, I think that would come in maybe them treating their employees right <laughs> or actually being an ethical corporation and helping people that actually need it, not just like selling people to those who already afford to buy that crap. Yeah. Thank you so much, Connor. Yeah, it was yeah. great talking to you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Shall we talk about straight people now? Oh my God, yes, please. Straight people. Let's pivot to straight people. And I'm so happy that we have some couple news this week that helps us continue with our brief self-imposed Kardashian pop punk boyfriend ban. Thank God. Thank, Thank you, celebs, for stepping it up. We really needed it because it's getting a little boring. Okay, so we have some hot new young couple rumors to parse through this week. The first to discuss is Florence Pugh and Will Poulter. I feel like Florence is famous enough now where I don't need to explain her. You've likely seen Midsommar, Lil Women, or Harry Styles going down in her in the Don't Worry Darling trailer. She's cool as hell. And she's like maybe one of my favorite actresses right now. Like I really, I stand Florence Pugh. Everybody loves Florence Pugh. Yeah, she's delightful. The thing with Flo is that the 26-year-old actress has been dating 47-year-old Zach Braff for three years now. And people hate it like fully he's 47 do not support. he's 47 they do not like oh my god this pairing at all the thing with florence also is that a lot like it's sort of a, a small collection of young actors right now who have these pop star like fandoms and it's not to the extreme of like the swifties or like the bts army or like any of the really big pop fandoms but like they have a lot of fan sites in ways that we haven't seen to this level with other hollywood stars so like Florence Pugh, Timothy Chalamet, Saoirse Ronan, Zendaya, like they all have like very like pop star like fandoms. And Florence's fans just would love, they love to roast Zach Braff. They would pounce on the couple's IG comments whenever Florence would share photos of them together, Zach would share photos of them together. And this was mostly really bad at the beginning of the pandemic when they were obviously quarantining together and sharing a lot of content with one another as couples who were quarantined together would do. And they would just be completely roasting Zach so much so that Florence had to post a nearly four minute Instagram video telling people to stop bullying her 47 year old boyfriend. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? I'm hoping you're still well and healthy and safe. 
On Monday, I posted a photo in honor of Zach's birthday and I wrote a birthday message underneath. Within about eight minutes of the photo being posted, I had about 70% of the comments hurling abuse and being horrid and uh, basically bullying someone on my page. It is the first time in my entire Instagram life that I have had to turn off the comments on my page. So I don't feel like weighing in on the Braff and Florence age gap discourse too much, but I think it is worth pointing out like a big reason why people kind of hate this very much and like especially non-Gen Z people who have seen this couple, is that Zach has had a tendency to always skew like extremely young with his girlfriends. And it's like, that's an inherently gross pattern. It's just like a weird thing that is like, why even do that? So Flo Sands, they had a huge surprise this week when the actress spotted living it up in Ibiza with Zach nowhere to be found. Instead, she was looking chummy with the actor Will Poulter. And he that's not a name that you should know immediately offhand. He's not in a bunch of stuff. You probably do not recognize that name at all, if that. So I can't tell you what stuff he's been in besides being a supporting character in Midsommar with Florence, which is how they likely know each other. The best I can do to describe him is that he's the actor who looks like Sid from Toy Story. And I know with that description... You very likely have the picture in your head. Like, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And he's also Marvel buff now, which, like, he's just, like, about to be in a bunch of Marvel movies, I guess. And he's super buff. So they looked hot. They looked hot on the beach together in their group vacation with their friends in Ibiza. So, of course, this was cause for celebration for those who assumed that meant Florence and Zach had finally called it quits. And Zach was getting flamed hard on Twitter and TikTok, and everyone was acting like they were day one Will Poulter superfans, which just does not exist. There's no one who liked Will Poulter prior to this happening. There's no one who stand him this hard. I, I was like, why do people fucking care about this guy? <laughs> no, it was very it was very funny to see how people were just like completely overstanding him. But they were just excited that Florence and Zach were maybe not together anymore. So the relationship rumor is nothing more than a rumor. Florence hopped on IG once more and pointed out that her and Will are just friends who were on vacation with more friends who were conveniently cropped out of the paparazzi photos. She didn't confirm that her and Zach were still together, though, and she's obviously posted him a lot less since she told all of her fans to stop bullying him a couple years ago. But she did allegedly post about his birthday a month ago, so I feel like they probably are together. So I feel like they're definitely not together. Really? Yeah, I feel like the tenor of her statement, like they definitely are not. I mean, she seems like outwardly embarrassed by him (laughs) or at least to like understand like why she should be embarrassed by him. I think the time to recognize that was probably like two years ago when the bullying was at an all time high. I know, but it's like that person in your friend circle who like is dating like the embarrassing older guy who always makes like Steely Dan references when they go out to the bar. And then she's like, oh, no, I know he's lame, but like he's really great when it's just like me and him like alone yeah yeah i mean like he just seems like he sucks like again like he's like it's like a, already like a, a red flag if you if your boyfriend gets older and all of his girlfriends stay the same age like the matthew mcconaughey Jason confused character like he it's just like it's weird it's just a weird pattern it's a big red flag but i hope that they're not together anymore but it doesn't seem like there's any clear signs that they've actually broken up at all and she's not gonna say because she's too cool she's too cool I mean, we'll see. I hope that they break up. So I saw someone describe this other alleged new couple as Florence Pugh and Will Poulter for people under 25. 
and I will let you unpack that on your own. But let's get into Olivia Rodrigo and Vinny Hacker. So our heartbreak queen, Olivia Rodrigo, is still pretty freshly famous, but of course, her love life has already been well-documented due to the nature of her first album. She dated her high school musical, the musical, the show, co-star, Joshua Bassett, and then wrote an album about their breakup that has turned Olivia into a Grammy-winning megastar. Last year, she began dating music producer Adam Faze. Like Florence and Zach, Olivia stands were up in arms over this because of the age gap. He was 24 to her 18. Again, I think it's inherently weird when people who are over 21 date people who are not of even legal drinking age. But it doesn't matter because they broke up earlier this year. And Olivia's been on her first ever tour and just closed out the North American leg in her hometown of Los Angeles with a show attended by a plethora of stars like Lizzo, Billie Eilish, and TikToker Vinny Hacker. Now, I did not know who Vinny Hacker was until the photos of him and Olivia. I literally had never heard of this man in my life. And I feel like the photos don't really reveal much. People were kind of freaking out about it. But like, it's just the series of photos to describe them is they hug. She touches his face to say goodbye in a way that's like, it's like a little flirty, but like, I don't know. It's not aggressively, like they're not making out. And then they like outstretch their arms to each other as she gets into her car. They don't even leave together. She leaves without him. She leaves him behind at the venue. So It doesn't really reveal too much to me, but Olivia is a huge pop star. Vinny is also mega popular with an intense fandom of his own. The 19-year-old has a bit of an early aughts bad boy vibe with amazing cheekbones, and he is famous for being hot, and I can't help but respect that. I think that's a good reason to be famous. And I guess he also boxes, but I think that would have been a hotter fact about him if the Paul brothers had not made boxing so deeply unhot. So surprisingly, both their massive fandoms were really into this mostly because their fandoms largely overlap, at least on the Gen Z side. So there's no doubting that this man will inspire some fire tunes from Olivia, nothing like a tattooed dirtbag boyfriend to become the ultimate muse. Neither confirmed anything. I'm still skeptical that much is there, but I don't hate it. It's not, you know, it's not a bad pairing to me. She seems to have like very Gen Z tastes and like people to hang out with. Like you would think that like she would be just because she's so beloved by like millennials and like Gen Xers that she would have like cooler friends. But I saw a photo of her at Lucienne like on Twitter earlier this week. And it was like, who was there? It was it was like a, just a parade of lamos. Well, she's friends with Conan Gray, right? She's friends with Conan Gray. Yeah, Iris Apatow is like a childhood friend of hers. They went to, I think they went to school together. Yeah. Her and Iris it, Apatow. It's still like not a class of people a bunch that of I random think actors. Like, yeah, it's still not a class of people that I think her older fans are like really want her to hang out with. But she's like, what? She's 18. Like, who do you expect? Well, her to I hang think out a with? lot of the people that she hangs out with that aren't the musicians that she like works with are like she's like an L.A. kid. So they're all like people like other child actors and people that she's like grown up with. So I feel like that's probably why, too. And I feel like the first year of her being famous, there was like nothing that she can do, like in the way that when you become super famous, like you go to events all the time, like she's just starting to do that now. Yeah, because all that stuff wasn't happening. So, yeah. And also to the point of like she has very like early 2000s sort of taste, like she completely styles herself like she's like the main character in like an early 2000s teen comedy. Like all of her fashion choices are very much giving that. And even the aesthetic of, like, the tour and her videos are very, like, 2000s, like, teen rom-com prom. Just a lot of those tropes of, like, 90s and early 2000s movies. And this guy looks like he's, like, the the male lead in a movie like that. Like, he has that energy to him. Like, so it makes sense. It is aesthetically a good choice to date him. It's It makes it makes total sense. She's going to date somebody her age, and somebody her age is somebody who has, like, a long earring and, like, makes $20 million a year, like, pouting and doing 
doing dances on TikTok. Like it makes total sense for her to be dating somebody like that. I, I ship it. I hope that there's something there. I like the photos. I feel like people are relying on photos that tell us literally nothing as people do online. I do the same. But like I, I enjoy I enjoy this pairing. Like I think this is a very cute pairing. It, again, I can't tell you anything else about this man, though. Deadass, if I walked into any room, I would not be able to tell you who he was. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I like to pride myself that I know the TikTok A-list himbos, but I really don't. They all look the fucking same to me. Like, maybe I'd see Chase Hudson if he, like, literally walked into my house and, like, started petting my dog. Like, I'd be like, well, that's Lil Huddy. Other than that, like, Josh Richards, Bryce Hall, if you put the two of them between, like, in front of me and asked me to pick them out of a lineup, I would be like, first of all, I want these people out of the room because I would not be able to do that. So after, let's do a moral panic, I guess. The answers can be found in the MTV video game. So after the horror show of the past week, one could be forgiven for forgetting that there's a brand new terrifying illness spreading in the United States. But there is one. There's a brand new terrifying illness spreading in the United Ooh, States. We love we love more contagious illnesses. We do. We stand more contagious illnesses. Like uh, just in time for summer. Get those get those infectious vectors, queen. <laughs> like, <laughs> get those host bodies. We stand. It's called monkeypox. There are only 10 10 confirmed cases of monkeypox currently in the United States, but there are more than 250 worldwide. And the WHO says it poses a moderate risk to global public health. Is moderate risk like where I should start being really concerned or? I'm going to tell you and then I'm going to let you decide for yourself. Personally, from what I have researched about monkeypox, no, I don't think you need to be seriously concerned. I think you should be somewhat concerned. And the CDC basically says the same thing. But let me tell you a little bit about what this is. It's the same family of viruses as smallpox. I don't know if you're familiar with smallpox. Did you like watch Little House on the Prairie as a child and like lust after Michael Landon? No, that show was so boring. (laughs) I know. That wasn't the point, though. That wasn't the point, (laughs) Brittany. The point was Michael Landon. I like to not be bored. I was busy watching Murder, She Wrote. Oh, my God. It would be like 20 minutes of like Nellie being a bitch or like complaining about something or like Mary going blind. And then Michael Landon would come on screen and you'd be like, yes, this is why I watch the show. That sounds legitimately awful. Just look at Google image him just after after we get off after we're done. Just Google image him. Like, do me a favor. Do do yourself a favor. But. I looked up a lot of photos of smallpox and researching this segment. Contrary to what I just advised Brittany about Google image searching Michael Landon, I would strongly advise against doing this. I would also strongly advise against looking up photos of monkeypox. But the symptoms are somewhat similar. Like, they include fever, swollen lymph nodes, and a rash or lesions on the trunk and hands. It typically resolves itself in two to four weeks. I think it's like the specific strain that's circulating has less than a 1% mortality rate. So it's much less lethal and serious than smallpox. I should say that the smallpox vaccine prevents this, and it's also a lot less transmissible. From what I understand, it's transmitted by like prolonged face-to-face or skin-to-skin contact. It's not the type of situation where it's like COVID, where you can get it from like sitting at a restaurant. It's serious and it's worrisome, but is it as worrisome as COVID? No. And the WHO says it's very unlikely it will ever reach pandemic status. So I hope that answers your question a little bit, Brittany. The other thing that's important to note about monkeypox is that currently, and I want to stress that qualifier because I do think it's important here, the majority of the cases in this current rash are among gay or bisexual men, or MSM, men who have sex with men, in public health parlance. It's not entirely clear why that is. 
because there's no evidence yet this is sexually transmitted. But many of the cases have been reported by like there's a guy who attended a bathhouse in Madrid or at a pride event in the Canary Islands. If a virus is spread by skin to skin contact, it stands to reason that one of the first outbreaks would be among people looking to have sex with each other or to establish intimate contact with each other. And in this case, it just happens to be men who have sex with men. It doesn't mean the virus can't be spread outside the gay community. But this has led a whole bunch of people to suggest, much as they did with the spread of AIDS 40 years ago, that this is a gay disease that underscores some kind of moral rot within the LGBTQ community. And it's also led people on the right to declare that this disease, which again, there's no evidence, is going to be nearly on the same level of COVID, as evidence that the government is trying to exercise mind control by creating a brand new vaccine, which has led to them preemptively refusing it. Do you want to hear Marjorie Taylor Greene talk about this public health expert, Marjorie Not Taylor really, Greene? but we okay. will. Well, I'll, I'll play it for you guys because she's obviously got a very qualified opinion about this. Monkeypox is really only transmitted mostly through gay sex because that really is the truth about monkeypox. But you know what? That is not satisfying for these folks. They have to make it scarier and they've been monitoring your social media site because that's what they do. They have been editing their website to make monkeypox much more frightening to, to explain to you that you anyone can catch it. The idea of preemptively refusing a vaccine for a non-lethal disease, a largely non-lethal disease that 10 people in the country currently have is obviously extremely galaxy brained. But like, so is the idea that only gay men can get this virus or that it's a quote unquote gay disease. Because if HIV has taught us anything, it's that just because a disease may be spreading among one particular cohort at a given time doesn't mean it's specific to that group. In fact, I think that's particularly true with monkeypox because we don't know if it's sexually transmitted. We know it's spread, it's spread by like close to close contact. And like, are you telling me straight people don't breathe in each other's fucking faces and get close in each other's faces <laughs> all the time? Like, especially old straight people. Oh, yeah. Like the they the Altacockers in Scarsdale hate personal Allergic. space. Allergic to personal space. Don't you have an old relative who like is always breathing in your face? Like whenever you see them at any family event? I feel like those people are more at risk of getting monkeypox than like the average gay person in the United States. I'm joking. We don't love this monkeypox rhetoric though at the launch of Pride Month. Like this is the inverse of the Walmart Pride merch. Cringe oh, absolutely. Pride merch. <laughs> There's nothing live, laugh, LGBTQ about this. No, not at, at all. all. And also, I should say that the WHO also says that the reason why this might be circulating among men who have sex with men is just because men who have sex with men tend to be incredibly proactive about checking for sexually transmitted infections. So it may be that the virus isn't even specific to that community right now. They're just on higher alert than other demographics may be for STI. If they do spot an unusual rash, they're likely to want to get it sorted out quite quickly. And so the fact that they've been proactive about responding to unusual symptoms might be part of the story. It's not about discrimination. It's not about stigma. It's about saying, where are you seeing the first cases? Where is it spreading now? Um, and how is it spreading now? But there's also another viewpoint here that I think is important to mention. There are many people, some in the LGBTQ community, who say that public health experts are not emphasizing the link between the gay community and the risk of monkeypox enough. The Atlantic came out with a piece to this effect, arguing that the CDC should not be emphasizing the rarity of monkeypox because, quote, while the number of documented cases remains small, the presumption that the outbreak is an anomaly is precisely what misled medical authorities, journalists, and even gay people themselves 40 years ago when HIV 
first entered the headlines. So this guy who wrote this, Jim Downs, he's a historian. He's not a public health expert, but I do think it's a fair point. Like, I think that the public health community has a really hard time striking a balance between stigmatizing a community and emphasizing the risks of that community if there are heightened risks. And they also have a really hard time, as we saw with COVID, between hysteria and downplaying risk. And it's hard for people to take risk factors into account without shaming each other for their behavior. Again, we certainly learned that during COVID. And I think we're going to be increasingly learning that now if monkeypox spreads further, which it's it seems like it will. Anyway, don't let old people breathe on you if you can help it. I think that's the <laughs> important advice. main takeaway. Yes. <laughs> Let's do himbo. Yes. Welcome to Himbo of the Week, where we award men for what they are most capable of doing, the bare minimum. So there's a video that stuck with me all week, and I just, I can't, I sent it to EJ, I like can't stop thinking about it. I think it's just like the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. But basically one TikToker had done what many of them do, which is share a prompt. And this prompt was, what's the most surprisingly deep quote from an unlikely source? And in a Stitch video from a different user, they recorded a recent Hot Ones interview with Steve-O. And if you don't know Hot Ones, it's an incredible interview series where huge celebs answer questions in between eating these like increasingly hotter wings. And I've never seen Jackass. I have no relationship with it. I pass out at the sight of gore. I It's not made for me. But I've always had a fondness for the cast. Like, I've always enjoyed Steve-O and Johnny Knoxville. Yeah, you love himbos, so the franchise is made for you. I love himbos. Yeah, they are himbo. They are really the forefathers of modern himbo culture. Absolutely. When we think of the the blueprint for what a proper himbo is, we look to men like Steve-O. And this video has made me a Steve-O stan, a great alternative to sitting and watching a bunch of gross-out pranks that I guarantee will make me nauseous. So here's what Steve-O says. What's your favorite surprisingly deep quote from an unlikely source? This is a prank on us because we only have one instinct, which is to survive. And we only have one guarantee, which is we won't. I have been the gift of the guy going wow and nodding aggressively with big eyes all week since hearing that. I just think it's just so beautiful and morbid. I'm obsessed. And it's now also a moment of zen. Like, I just, I love that quote. So congrats, Steve-O. A classic himbo, a himbo pioneer, if you will, deserving of this crown. Maybe you should get some food, get some water, and then come back later. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop. Please share this podcast with someone you love or someone you hate. Either way, we don't care which one. This podcast is brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network, written and hosted by me, EJ Dixon, and Brittany Spanos. Executive produced by Jason Fine, Bridget Chelsea, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul, and produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio. 